1: Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. The tears of Suarez, the joy of Min San, more late drama in Qatar. South Korea hadn't really threatened to get a winner against Portugal until Sun set off on his merry run and finally he found a teammate, Wang, bolting forward to send them through to the knockouts. They had to wait though as Uruguay desperately tried to get the third goal they needed, but missed chances, unsuccessful penalty shouts and it was all over. Ghana's hopes had gone when Wilson's favourite Ayu, Andre, blew their chance from the penalty spot. Great for the narrative, if nothing else. Group G was less topsy-turvy, Switzerland were in control for most of it and came through in the end. Shakiri being Shakiri and a wonderful goal from Remo Freuler. Brazil were always through. They sent out their reserve team to spin around against Cameroon and it didn't come to life until the last minute. A boobacar, a brilliant header and then a very casual red card. Also today we'll start previewing the knockouts. Question why any England fan is thinking more than one game ahead. We'll answer your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Ed Ahrens, welcome. Hi, Max. Hello, Nader Manuaha. Hello, Max. And hello, Barry Glendening. Hello. All right, then. Let's start in Group H. Portugal go through on six points. South Korea through on goals scored. The same number of points as Uruguay. Uh, Ghana... Uh, finished bottom with three. That's after South Korea beat Portugal 2-1. Uruguay won 2-0 against Ghana, but it it didn't matter in the end. Jim says, a smiling Sonny and a sobbing Suarez was what we all wanted to see, wasn't it? (laughs) Matty sent a picture of Suarez crying and said, hang it in the Louvre, question mark. And Michael said, following the discussion uh, about Lukaku on yesterday's pod about it's okay to laugh at footballers making mistakes or whatever, I assume we can add Luis Suarez to the okay to find funny list. I mean... It was extraordinary end. Again, you know, like South Korean team, Nadim in the centre circle looking at their phone while the Uruguayans are haranguing a referee or any official they could find <laughs> over this not given penalty. It was, it was, a, it was a brilliant end to a really fun
2: afternoon. Yeah, it was spectacular. I think as the game was going on initially, I thought, well, this is this is okay, this is okay. But then as soon as that second goal went in for South Korea you then start thinking about all the different permutations and situations and like the fact that the South Korea game were kicked off a little bit ahead of the Uruguay game. So you're thinking, oh, there's going to be like seven minutes extra bit on this one. And what happens if they score this and the stress and the pain? It was so, so good. Like I absolutely loved it. And Do you know, at the end, when I'm seeing Ghana think that they need to score and looking at Uruguay thinking they need to score and both teams are flying back and forth, but like really badly. It's like, well, maybe this is why you're going out. You know, it was absolutely (laughs) fantastic. And um, yeah, it brought brought a smile to my face. Not necessarily to see Suarez crying, although, you know, some people said that Ghana game wasn't going to lead to, wasn't about revenge. But when you're time wasting, you turn all down, you're already out. (laughs) <laughs> it kind of kind of feels like revenge, so it was yeah. um it was good fun. And for those yeah. who don't like Suarez, I'm sure they had a good moment. And for those that do, you know, he felt the pain as he cried, as he pointed up at the screen and realized there were 15 minutes left to go, basically, and he had no control over what was going to happen next.
1: Baz, that and that's our career goal, right? It almost feels like it's the first thing that Hyung min Son has done in this World Cup that's come off. It feels like, like for three games, he's just like run down blind alleys or missed chances or looked sad. And suddenly this wonderful run. And then the, the ground that Huang makes up is extraordinary.
3: Yeah, and as the goal came out of nowhere because South Korea were kind of long past the point where they should have been throwing the kitchen sink at Portugal. And, and they just seemed to be meandering... You know, in a quite relaxed fashion, out of the tournament, there was no real urgency about their play. And on two occasions prior to the goal, uh, Son had had made runs down the centre, and he had runners either side of him. And on both occasions, he ran into traffic without picking out either of those runners. It was making me think: God, is he wearing a face mask, or is he wearing a set of blinkers? You know, like you know, on a racehorse. Because he didn't he wasn't lifting his head and looking around. And far be it for me to tell his son how to play football. But um yeah, he I mean, where he got the energy for that that gallop, another racehorse analogy, and that gallop from box to box. And the pass uh, to Wang, who, who made up that ground, despite having a dicky hamstring, which has prevented him from playing in any of South Korea's games yet. That was the only sign of urgency they showed really. It was was throwing him on in the hope he'd get a goal. The ball threw to him perfectly timed, he managed to stay on side and the finish was sublime and it was all done at lightning speed, so hats off to them. And and then that really put the cat amongst the pigeons, didn't it? (laughs) It really did. Because then then everybody, like Nadim says, Ed, flicks
1: to the other channel, if they weren't watching it anyway, to watch this sort of insane injury time where, you know, Suarez, they keep cutting to Suarez, who's crying on the bench, who's got his shirt over his head. Then Cavani has that header that's tipped over. There's that possible penalty. Then Coates makes this amazing block to, like, f- stop Garner from scoring. And that the ball goes down the other end. It was just, that sort of nine minutes was just incredible.
4: Yeah, it was unbelievable drama, wasn't it, at the end, and I think, you know, the, the moment that everybody will remember is is when, you know, Suarez found out about South Korea's goal, and, and everybody on the Uruguay team suddenly realised that the the goalpost had moved, and that, you know, they had to score another goal, and it's just a, this utter panic, and you know, for Ghana, it was, it was a really, uh, a, it must have been a strange feeling at the end, because I think, you know, they all look really sad, obviously, because they'd... Been knocked out, but some of them must have been quite, you know, sort of laughing inside as well at, at, at Suarez and you know what happened to him, and you yeah, particularly because you know he'd had such a great game as well. He, you know, two assists for for the opening goals. It looked like you know the script was written with, with the penalty earlier on that just completely knocked the wind out of Ghana and they and they lost their their heads a little bit. But yeah, at the end, I, I think you know Uruguay were very felt very hard done by with those decisions, but. I think this uh, is Salisu just got got uh, the slightest touch on the ball didn't he for that one that, that was looked the, the, the most like a penalty and uh, just got away with it and then gone oh, yeah like you say were well, on the attack and could have could, probably should have scored really uh, to bring it back and then they would have been a goal away from qualifying as well so but yeah, I have to feel have to feel sorry for them a little bit. But yeah, at least, at least at least Uruguay didn't get through.
2: Yeah, Um, so to talk about my experience over here in Qatar. So I did go to the Portugal versus Uruguay game. And it looked like in the first half for Uruguay, you, uh, they must have been told that if you score, you will never play again for your country. So that's the type <laughs> of energy that they had. So as a consequence for them to lose out by one goal, well, yeah. you know, there's a bit of exactly, a bit yeah. of balance there. For such a such a potentially good side to see them play the way that they played it was really really confusing but they do have some level of fight within them and they will be disappointed and we also need to keep an eye on that injury to Ben as well because I think he was probably the best player throughout the whole tournament for him to go off when he did you know it's not that long now before we start talking about the uh, that other league that we tend to cover a little bit so yeah Uruguay Really, really bizarre team. They play really well. Then half-time is like, well, I guess that's enough. Well, there's the jeopardy for you. As soon as another team scores, before you know it, you're in a very, very tough position. Barry, was that a penalty? The one on Cavani right at the end where... He...
1: Ben's been in touch to say, a lot of people saying Cavani was fouled. But it seems to me that he slowed down to get the contact and the ref made a correct, brave decision. What do you reckon?
3: Uh, I thought it was a penalty. Sedu on Cavani, I thought it was a stupid challenge. And I thought he was very lucky to get away with it. And I'm not sure how Cavani slowing down to draw the foul makes it any less of a foul. I mean, there was <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, sti- <I> thought... <laughs> it's
3: still a foul, no matter what speed you're going at, or if you're if you're trying to, to draw it from the defender. So yeah, I I it was unquestionably a penalty. I can understand the frustration of the, the Uruguayan players at the end of the game when they were basically chasing the ref down the tunnel and he was just brandishing yellow cards <coughs> willy-nilly i i i'd be interested to see if he actually got a, a record of who he showed them to so he could make his, uh, include it included in his report but um yeah it was it was definitely a penalty and it was strange that the the lads in VAR HQ seemed to you know move on so quickly and and didn't at least get the ref to go and have a look at his pitch side monitor I'm sure they reviewed it, but they, they came to the wrong conclusion as far as I'm concerned.
2: I'm guessing the referee's probably seen that there was contact but doesn't believe it was like, he thought legs just came together or whatever. I don't know. the. I hold my hands up. VR has basically exposed me for not knowing the laws of the game. I just used to play it. You know what I mean? I used to get told <laughs> when I made an offense, not knowing which one was it was myself. When you get to the point whereby you think that the deciding moment for your World Cup was a penalty that wasn't given when you had basically the cards all in your hand, like... Yeah, you can tell they're frustrated. Like, that's that's the thing. It wasn't the 10 minutes of seven V4s in your favour when you're doing these counterattacks and you've got Cavani crossing it for quarters. You know, did they draw that up on the tactics board? I'd like to think that they didn't. Um, so, yeah, that that decision, they can say it's wrong and so on, but, you know, their tournament was done before that moment. And if they needed to rely upon a decision being given to them like that to give themselves the chance, then, you know, take a real good look at yourself and don't feel outraged because, you know, you kind of did this to yourself, you could say. Ed, do you think... Do you think South Korea deserved to go through? It feels like actually it was quite an even
1: group. And I I wondered out of the big teams, in inverted commas, Portugal might be the ones that struggle. And they've probably done quite well, actually, to, to get through. And Uruguay and Ghana could have got through on a sort of different set of days.
4: Yeah, well, I, think, I suppose it's the advantage of playing the, the team that's already qualified um, to get through. You know, we saw with Tunisia the other day, they they came pretty close to, to getting through after being a second-string France team although yeah I mean P- Portugal was pretty much a second string team today with with Ronaldo in it of course but um yeah I think Ghana Ghana was were the team that should feel particularly annoyed with themselves I think because it was in their hands today especially you know with the penalty as well at the start and if Ayu had stuck that away and banished the ghosts of 2010 with that goal I was I was in that uh, at the game back then in South Africa and just it's a moment that just will haunt Ghana and it'll continue to haunt them now because of that miss it's it's really quite annoying actually because I think if they scored that I think they well who knows they might not have gone on to win but they'd have been in a really strong position but you know South Korea are are a good team as well and they just took advantage of uh, of Portugal and and got the win they deserved yeah good for them
1: Barry so I mean that penalty was a, a sort of a microcosm of that game with the amount of shithousery and you know, there's a VAR decision that waits for ages, the penalty's given, then you've got the sort of Ghanaians protecting the penalty spot. I don't know if I've seen that before. It's extraordinary that, you know, every <laughs> Uruguayan having a go to slow it down. Andre Ayu, I mean, it was an absolutely terrible penalty,
3: wasn't it? Yeah, hey, it was shockingly bad. I presume the, the gravity of the situation got to him. Uh, it was feebly struck. The run-up had no conviction, feebly struck nowhere near the corner and it was a very easy save for the Uruguayan keeper really. He could have thrown his hat on it as they say. Palo says in the school of football drama was this Ghana
1: Uruguay written by Tom Stoppard. 90 plus minutes of relentless suffering for all 22 players and in the end it means absolutely nothing. Dan says can we agree <laughs> Uruguay Ghana is the biggest derby in world football at 7,327 kilometres. It felt made him, like it was going to explode at any time. You know there was like uh, you know, there was sort of the odd stamp. There was some, it was, it was really sort of, it could have been, it was on a knife edge, I thought, from really getting out of hand.
2: Yeah, you, you're exactly right. And it is, you know, in my, it is a me now, isn't it? Because I'm sure the Uruguayans will uh, will get over this very, very quickly. They're going, <laughs> in, going to the corner, being 2-0 down. There'll, there'll be nothing to even speak of the next time they speak. I'm sure, I'm sure the World Cups don't matter to any of these teams. Definitely not Uruguay. I'm sure their players weren't crying about it. But yeah, it's um, it's it's a good tie, and it just continues just that little bit further, and it was um, it was very really enjoyable, and I'll hold my hands up and say I've got the real mixed emotions because being somebody who was born in Nigeria who feels very Nigerian to know that Ghana, are the team that knocked out Nigeria and trying to qualify for the tournament, mm-hmm. but then seeing Ghana potentially go through to the round of sixteen, I'm like, ah, do I like this? <laughs> do I not like this? Or do I just accept it? So I choose to accept it and just know Nigeria will be back.
1: Yeah, it's quite interesting you say that name because I think from here we sort of have quite a, I don't know if patronizing is the right word, but we sort of lump African football together. Oh, this is great. There are three African teams through, but like there are obviously huge rivalries within that continent,
2: right? Yeah, 100%. And just think of it this way. If somebody came up to you from elsewhere and said, oh, it must be great for all you British teams to be doing so well together. You know, you, you're, you're, you're rooting for, <laughs> uh, oh, and you know, the Irish as well. They must love you guys. You know, I hope you're all rooting for each other to do so, so well. Uh, no, absolutely not. That's never. Been, that's not a thing. Never will be a thing. And he needs to be put in the bin. And that thing about Nigeria and Ghana, there may be some. There may be some out there that say, "Fine, you know, we support the West African sort of nations." But when somebody's there at your expense, it's very hard to do. And I'm not going to say I'm the one that's bitter about it. Sure, but. Someone might, are. someone else might say I'm bitter about it, but I'm not going to say it myself.
4: Yeah, I noticed that uh, the the, the pylon from Nigeria Twitter didn't take long. It was about <laughs> a couple of minutes. <laughs> and then they were off, you know, like uh, yeah, taunting and because that that defeat in the playoffs really hurt. And I think a lot of Nigerians probably saw that coming as well because mm. they always they always lose to Ghana. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, I think also, yeah, with it, I remember, yeah, Algeria defeated, um, you know, they lost to Cameroon in the last minute. And I think seeing some of the, their fans seeing Cameroon playing in uh, at this World Cup is just heartbreaking because, you know, they were so close to being there themselves. And, yeah, so it's not always necessarily, you know, the African teams support each other at all
1: we do have to talk about Luis Suarez right because he was so he was sort of pivotal to every bit of this game he looks a bit like a Vets player to me like he's really quite slow but yeah set up both goals I mean he was the the first one obviously his shot was parried and the second one is a lovely touch and then all the pictures will afterwards will be of him sitting on the bench not being able to affect things
2: yes that's exactly right and the assist, well you know we're in this sort of life fantasy football era where someone having a shot that gets saved leads to an assist he wasn't trying to assist anybody but we'll give him one we'll give him one but then the second one was a nice bit of play that led to a to a great finish as well and he's you can see as he was walking off the field he was he was applauding the crowd and you could see there was a real sense of appreciation maybe there was a hint from the crowd that you know the job was done but they really do appreciate him for what he's done for the nation and i think the bigger conversation about him now is like because you mentioned the vets player thing people talking about how he might never play another game of football again. Like this could literally be the end of his career. And that is an interesting spot for him to be in. But when you look at the fact that people are saying that maybe he can't play 90 minutes anymore, can you really have a long career from that point when that is the case? I think that should essentially be a foundation. Can a player finish a game? Yes or no. If the answer is no, then are you, should you really be starting games? So it's a, it's a very, very tough spot for him to be in. You can see that, as was the case with Lukaku and stuff yesterday, I know we can poke fun at them. But also I like the people who actually feel a level of emotion about disappointment because it shows that they really wanted to be there. And that's probably the closest connection to the fans and people of that nation because you felt the same, feel the same sort of disappointment, except they feel a slightly different version of it because they've been involved in the thing that's led to the sort of sadness. And in some ways, from an emotional standpoint, there are lots of people who say Suarez is a nice guy who know him, but I don't know him. So I can't say that too much. But yeah, the pain of going out when that football is everything to you, playing for your nation is everything, everything to you. Because you can have a club side, but they can move on from you. But for him, you know, Uruguay is, is everything. So for it to go out the way that he did and him to be helpless watching it from the sideline. For some, that's a dream to see him suffer, but for others, you know, they feel real sympathy because that is that is a very tough spot to be in. If
1: you can't play ninety minutes, Southern Amateur League vets c- squad of seventeen, rolling subs. That's good. Listen, I
2: play, I play an hour, I play an hour. That's it. If he wants to come down and play with me somewhere in North Manchester, he's more than welcome. How About that,
1: we did talk about you know the the Rio Guayans being furious with the ref afterwards, and it's, 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 we've talked about sort of ref abuse. Barry, and you can understand the emotion, and it's sort of quite funny because it's Uruguayan, sort of known for this sort of shit housery. but Sussex by the sea says, look. The players went crazy. How are refs protected from that stuff? And it, it seems all commentators take it as normal. I guess we did as well. You know, it's sort of
3: out of order, isn't it? Uh, it was conspicuously out of order. That's kind of why I commented on it because they were manhandling the ref as he he left the pitch, and you know, lads grabbing his shoulder, grabbing his arm, and, and that's not acceptable. Uh, having said that, I they they have been some of them have been booked. They will be punished accordingly, I suppose. No one was hurt, and they were understandably furious. There's a lot at stake, uh, but and and um, as far as I'm concerned, they their complaints were entirely justified. But you know, obviously, the ref isn't going to change the decision after the final whistle. It's not setting a good example to watching children or the parents of. Children who misbehave on the touchline of football matches, uh, or guys who play Sunday league, but it's it's not up to the footballers of Uruguay to educate other people's children on how to behave on a pitch or off a pitch, and it's not. And people, adults who are watching, should be old enough to to know better than to do that.
2: Uh, yeah, I agree with uh, I agree with what Barry's saying there as well. I think that the the interesting thing about this perspective when it comes to football is that the players have been punished. You know, I think if you look at it and say nothing's happened from it, then I think you are missing the point because the referee literally was throwing us around like it's Christmas time. You know, you get one, you get one, you get one. And that's what they deserved in that moment for that reaction. From the other side, I can understand why they'd be that frustrated. And to be honest, I think when players, you know, when you go and I said speak, I was going to say speak to a referee. When you go and disagree with a referee, it's not necessarily to get them to change their mind because more often than not, well, you know that they won't. Let's just let them sort of know that you're frustrated by it and to know that maybe they didn't make the right decision. That could affect the referee further down the road. But in terms of, say, abuse, we we can be, we can very quickly say that the players doing that is wrong and it is. But then there'll be people who will be now reaching out to those players to say how bad they are as well and to abuse them online. Not necessarily stuff from, you know, which could be racist and whatever, but it could just be abuse of a performance and the fact that they feel let down. Those same people who will be typing to Luis Suarez saying you're no good, you need to retire, you're nonsense, you're crap, you're this, that and the other, they'll then also point at the screen and say you were a disgrace for going up to a referee. So there's a whole there's a whole system of abuse which exists where at times we sort of pick and choose as to what is okay and what's fair game and stuff that isn't. But interestingly, the only thing that really seems to get punished is the stuff which actually happens on the field, which we believe is the one which sets the worst example. Slightly on a different note, Carl says, can we have more discussion on Infantino's
1: insistence on always wearing white trainers with a dark suit? And is he taking the piss by leaving Uruguay, Ghana at half time and turning up at Portugal career for the second half? Uh, Ed, how do we feel about a, a suit and white trainer? I mean, I wouldn't say it's Infantino's biggest crime, if I'm being honest, <laughs> but but how do we feel about it?
4: Yeah, I can think of a few other things that he's done. But I mean, it is up there with in terms of fashion crimes. I think it's up there. But I think the last time I saw it was was Ralph Hassenhuttle uh, early, earlier in the season uh, on the touchline, and we, and we all know what happened to him. It's true. So yeah, yeah.
1: I, I don't. I don't know if there's a. I don't know if there's a FIFA board who can give Infantino a vote of confidence. I think he does it for himself.
4: Oh yeah, he he gives his own vote of confidence. But in terms of the game, his game choice, he he did make. You know, he maybe he knew what was going to happen because he you know he saw the two goals. Uh, that Uruguay scored, and then he made it there for the dramatic finish in the other game.
1: Yousef says, has Asia ever done better in a World Cup? First time I've had three qualifiers, if you count Australia as Asia. And the first time every continent is represented in the last 16, if you count Australia in Australasia. Uh, so it depends where you want Australia to be. They qualified through the Asian qualifying campaign, um, but obviously they're not in Asia. Um, but I mean, I don't know, Barry, if that means there's some big change in the, you know, in in the footballing landscape or if it just does actually help for some of these sides having more fans, uh, more fans there. I mean, it's obviously Australia is a long way to travel wherever they go. Um, but, you know, for certainly for those fans and it's been commented a lot about, you know, how actually one of the positives of having this World Cup in Qatar has been the opportunity for Asian
3: fans, African fans
1: to, to get to a tournament.
3: Yeah, I, I've, I've no idea what it tells us. If anything, I mean, we've seen in the the past 24 hours, how quickly things can change and how several of the teams that have made it through could easily not have made it through. It was sort of, a lot of it was in the lap of the gods. Um, but yeah, if, if people who can't normally get to a tournament, and of course there's also the the fact that this has been played mid-season, that could be having an effect. I really don't know. But if people who wouldn't normally get to tournaments or get the opportunity to go to this one, then that's, I would say, possibly the only single benefit of having it where it is being staged. All
1: right, that'll do for part one. Ed, you're leaving us uh, and not returning to talk about the other group. I hope you have uh, an interesting Friday night planned uh, that isn't talking to us.
4: Yes, thanks, Max. It's going to be excellent.
1: Okay, good. What is it? I'm, I'm going think, to a I'm gig. intrigued now.
4: Oh, to see yeah. who? Alborosi.
1: Okay, um, they're definitely too cool for me.
4: It's, uh, it's a it's a, a single person, a reggae person.
1: All right, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is like when I thought Dua Lipa was a band as well. Isn't
4: it? It's very hard to keep up. <laughs> oh, keep days. up with the kids, Max. <laughs>
1: I'll Google them now. Uh, have a lovely time. Uh, Nadam and Barry will be with me for part two uh, to talk about Serbia, Switzerland and Cameroon, Brazil. Welcome to part two of the Ghanaian Football Weekly. Um, just a bit of breaking news that's happened uh, in between us ending part one and this part beginning. It was about 20 seconds. Uh, Ghana head coach Otto Addo uh, is stepping down from his role after that defeat to Uruguay. Uh, he's going to focus on his other job. Uh, he's a talent coach with Borussia Dortmund. He said before the game uh, on the subject of revenge, I know a lot of people were seeking revenge. I don't think this way and I told the players they shouldn't think this way as well. I'm a strong believer if you don't seek revenge, you will get more blessings. We were not looking for that. We were trying to win this game. If it wasn't Uruguay, we'd have tried it against another team. So it was not so important. It came more from the outside. Uh, What a wonderful message. Okay, then Group G, Brazil win it. Um, Switzerland finished on the same number of points as them, uh, Cameron on four, Serbia just on one. It was kind of winner-takes-all between Serbia and Switzerland. Switzerland won three-two, and Nick Ames was there and joins us now. Hey, Nick. hello guys. How are we doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. You've just come from sort of the, the frantic scenes at full-time.
0: Yes, I have. And, like, try as I might, I never learn. That game got to about 65 minutes in, and you think, oh, we've had a fairly good, clean game of football here. About... 50 minutes of which was rattling good fun. I mean, that first half was, you know, what it lacked in sort of quality and tactical discipline was outstanding in terms of chances and being open. We saw we saw a Serbia team that, as we know, needed to win. A point was enough um, for Switzerland. And that Serbia just piled out of the traps, basically. Had a bit of a scare early on. Um and then is committed about seven men forward in every attack leaving loads of space behind them made for a madcap start um Jordan Shachiri opening the scoring for Switzerland and um, I'm I'm sure we've been over before the context of the Albanian eagle celebration on on this pod which caused a lot of controversy when shachiri and shaka uh, both scored in 2018 when these when these sides met this time shachiri eschewed it he just um, instead did a silence finger to his mouth to the Serbian fans which is a a bit incendiary but not as incendiary um, because they've been booing him very heavily obviously and then we just had a a chaotic first half Serbia scored two really nicely taken goals through Mitrovic and Vlahovic and they they deserve them they've been creating a lot of chances both from set pieces and open play but you never thought for one second that they'd be able to Sit back and hold on to it. You you always felt Switzerland could get in behind, as they did Vid cross just before half time. Embolo, who's ha- having a good a good tournament, his finishing is not always that reliable, but he's always there. Um, converted it for um, for two two, and you thought we've got a rattling good second half coming up, but Switzerland took the lead straight away. Came out again very loose pressure on the ball from Serbia, which was a problem for them all game um lovely not bad by Vargas I think it was and Froiler, the Nottingham Forest player drilled in um at the same time as his club side was playing a friendly against Stoke at Loughborough University um which I'm <laughs> sure he was thinking about <laughs> um and uh, yeah, we've already we've already covered that in part one actually yeah but. yeah I'm, I'm sure I thought we might do a a bit but there we go and then yeah football wise that was basically it not much worth talking about but then I've, i don't even know what minute it was two-thirds of the way through the through the game maybe um mitrovich Serbia getting more and more desperate now they're just sort of the the their constructive ability from earlier has has gone they're cooked basically Mitrovic flings himself down for a silly dive for a penalty and then it all kicks off on the touchline, and no one really knew what had happened. Serbia were screaming for a pen, all their subs coming off the bench, the usual. But then the Swiss players started getting involved, and Dragan Stojkovic, who I, who I think Serbia can have done with on the pitch in, in his prime as a player, um, is it, their coach now, came on and started demonstrating. And we only found out on replays that it appears that Granit Shaka might have. Um, Grabbed his genital area in the direction yes, of I the saw bench, that, uh, yes. which was a, a, a piece of shithousery that um was probably of a piece with what people might have expected from this game. So that all kicked off for a while. Seven or eight minutes later, I mean, I, I don't really understand Serbian or, or or indeed most of the languages that Switzerland speaks, so I don't know which set of fans this necessarily was. But the Tannoy in the 77th minute warned the fans to to quit. I think he said um, discriminatory shouting and chants. So it's unfortunate because un- until then the behaviour had, had been fairly good. There was one little skirmish near me in the crowd, um, maybe just before Fuller's goal, and then at the end, right, right towards the end, there was another little bit of aggro involving Shaka and I think it was Milenkovic, maybe but maybe the goalkeeper as well, and a few others. Again, haven't seen replays of that because was busy filing but it kicked off again. So there were 11 bookings in the game, which should tell you quite a lot about how it degenerated in the second half. It feels a bit of a shame to me that a really good game of football was sort of ground to a bit of a weird hole like that, but it's also not surprising at all. So we shall see what the consequences are. Uh, Cheers, Nick. Thanks for coming on, mate. Thank you, guys. Take care.
1: I actually thought maybe, Nedim, this game would have kicked off more than it did, given the rivalry between the two. I know there are a few bit sort of fracas and nick was there so it's got much better feel for sort of what that was like but i just i i was expecting even more fireworks
2: really even more from do you mean from basically just the start of the game or how, what were you thinking please tell know. me
1: through it i just didn't i didn't feel like it ever really kicked off there were like a couple of minor fracas
3: well it's, it's probably worth mentioning max that we're recording like very soon after the final whistle and I, I was inclined to say, "Can we have 15 minutes?" Because I really see. think Granada Jack is going to do something, <laughs> yeah, and, and I think he still could. Yeah,
1: It's true. <laughs> yeah. Like, footballers are funny, aren't they? Even Sunday League footballers. Like if a player like grabs his crotch. Like, so what? Like, good for you. I don't understand why that would elicit so much rage. Yeah. I know there is massive rivalry between these two sides. Yeah, and I think
2: as well, it's, it's the person doing it. You know, they clearly mm. don't like him. I think he's probably a big yeah. reason, well, one of the reasons why there were seven yellow cards uh, given to Serbians in that second half. He's obviously not too well liked, but tell me something more predictable than at the end of the game, which two players from opposing sides would be going up against each other Hmm, so it's Mitrovic and Shaka going head to head. Who would have thought such a thing would happen? Yeah. Um, but the rivalry's is there. But I think to give them a bit of credit, even through all the madness, like there's still two good football insides. So ultimately, they probably wanted to do that as well. And whilst Serbia was still in with a the chance, they couldn't really go too far over the top because they still had an end objective. And in the end, once that seems to be going out the window, that's when some of the uh, rage seemed to in at, kick in at people maybe grabbing a crotch and directing it in uh, in their vicinity. Um,
1: the third goal, it was beautiful, Barry, wasn't it? The first Notting Forest player to score at a World Cup since Pierre van Hooydonk in 1998. But the assist from Vargas, yeah, I thought it was a total
3: delight. It was. Uh, ball over the top uh, and Vargas at his neat little flick and Froiler scored into the corner. I thought it was the second best goal of the game. All right. And I thought uh, Vlahovic's goal was the standout goal of the game. And I was thinking, that really reminds me of a goal I've seen before. Oh, really? Who who, who could it be? F- and then I, s- I checked. Is it Max? I, I think it was the Premier League goal of the day. I, uh-huh. I can't remember the weekend or year, but... it it was a young whippersnapper named Nedimov oh, Inouye play, oh playing it, for Barry.
2: Sunderland. Stop it, Barry. People don't and want he to hear about this. he dribbled
3: through the Chelsea defence and, and scored an exactly similar finish into the that exact same corner. I mean, Except he did, but... he did that on his own, Max. Yeah, he did that on but... his own. It, for, for Serbia, it was a two-man job because yeah. Ljusyan Tadic had to get involved and yeah. help. They're just, not, they're just not as good as me. That's the
1: thing, Barry. Well, clearly I, not. I I don't think these goals are anything similar at all. Maybe. <laughs> I, like, I think
3: that. it's like that famous Messi goal that was played side by side with the... Right. Barrett. I think if you play the Nedim goal beside mm. the Vlahovic goal, the similarities are remarkable. Hey,
2: listen, Dusan Vlahovic and myself, both known for having killer left feet. That's the key yeah. thing there. Just remember that, Max. But,
1: But like that... Vlaovic goal basically Shakiri gives it away like Tadic plays a pass which doesn't go to Vlaovic a Swiss defender has a chance to clear the
2: thing and just kicks it Don't worry it about to that Max doesn't matter who finishes it all, like these things things totally you, all these words you're saying don't matter Max have been compared to Vlaovic scoring a goal at the World Cup <laughs> yeah. everything he said does not matter it's fine On the
1: th- on the third goal thanks to Emerson Gunner, who was watching on Swiss TV with French commentary and that goal got a full ooh la la c'est fantastique <laughs> yeah. um but fantastic, I should say. Sorry, was uh, he that said the best...
3: Freuler goal or the Nedum yeah, goal? Yeah, that was
1: because the, the Freuler goal, the, the, <laughs> the average goal was, was just not a great goal. But he said the best bit was when the Serbians were t- attacking her in the box, the commentator was just saying, attention, attention. He said, can we get Jonathan Pearce to just scream, watch out, watch out, while Senegal are a- attacking <laughs> England. And Mbolo, I thought, I, I thought he made a good point. I think he has had a good World Cup, Nedum, and I think he is quite, he's a good player. He's still, you know... He, It's not like the finished article, but he leads a line in a way a lot of teams don't seem to have a player that can do that
2: at this tournament. Yeah, I totally agree. And he's chipping in with the goals as well. You can see that his presence makes a big difference. And even for that Freuler goal, the long ball that got played up, it wasn't the best of balls, but he made something out of it. And I think the left centre-back was panicking a little bit when he saw him because he knows physically he's not as good as Mbolo is. So he made he did make a huge difference, and he's going to be a tough matchup for whoever they go up against. And that's you know that's what you need. You know they've got some teams that feel like they're probably short through the middle, but and Mbolo scoring, linking up, and putting himself in the right areas. You know it's it's good to see. And then he's also the guy who had the most unique celebration I've probably seen at World Cup, where you apologize for scoring because you scored against mm. your home nation, which is yeah very strange in itself.
3: No no crotch grabbing there. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. No, um <laughs> this this game seemed to me it was like it's like it started in the 90th minute and played its way down to the first like cuz
1: like Benjamin Button yes, the Benjamin Button of football
3: matches. Switzerland had three shots on goal inside 30 seconds, the first 30 yeah. seconds. <laughs> yeah, and point. and it's like they didn't really start feeling each other out until the last 10 or 15 minutes when when the game had more or less died on its arse. It was it was a weird game, but a very enjoyable one.
1: Yeah, and that's there was this. There was the only real moment of like jeopardy. Okay, Serbia were ahead for a bit, and then Switzerland came back into it. The real jeopardy in this group was after Cameroon had scored in the ninety-second minute, where suddenly you were like, "Well, hang on. If Serbia score now, then Cameroon are through. Or if Switzerland score, then Brazil are second in the group, which would have been sort of completely ridiculous. Everyone's looking at how the draw pans out, and that header from Abubakar, who's already scored one of the best goals of the tournament, that sort of ridiculous scoop the other day there's just something so casual about him scoring a brilliant <laughs> head and and then getting a red card and just sort of shaking the ref's hand and going yeah fair enough and sort of holding his shirt off waving going i've been sent off so i don't think i've ever seen a more casual red in my life
2: yeah it was it was it was so iconic he knows how big a goal that is he scored a goal against brazil and they might win the game and then he's obviously thrown the shirt off then brought the shirt back and raised it so everyone could see this is me even though everybody already knew It's like yes this is me i just did this and then the referee's coming over and you know. That's, a, that's one of the referees I had in the MLS. Can't say I loved him, to be honest. But over he comes. I've got a surprise for you, my friend. Here you go. Shook his hand. And all the players knew as well. This is a very, very surreal red card, especially given the fact that there was seven more minutes to go. Even though that goal was very important, surely he'd rather play with 11 men? Because I, one of my friends he was watching it with, You're saying, ah, oh, you know, it's okay. Such a big goal, such a big moment, so on and so forth. Well, I said, well, if he did it in the 82nd minute, would you say it's fine? Or is it just because now it's pulse ninety? You assume that it's great, even though the amount of time left in theory is kind of the same. It was very, it was very strange. But credit to him, he's obviously scored some really good goals, and yeah, it's, I've been, I've enjoyed watching him. But yeah, it's, it's a strange moment to get yourself a second yellow card for um, helping your team possibly have a chance to go through. But there we are. it's a stupid law. It's a stupid law, Barry, isn't it?
3: Uh, yes, completely. And I'm not really sure what the logic behind it is. Even stupid laws, there tends to be some sort of logic behind them. I don't have a clue what the logic behind this one is. Is it something to do with crowd incitement or Nadum's raising a hand? No, I just remember when he first
2: came in, actually. I think it was my first season, I think 2004, 2005, and it was after, I think, Tim Cahill did it. He either did it in the season before or he was the first player to get booked for it. But to talk about a car. Imagine if that was the goal that got them through and he couldn't play in the next round because he got sent off. yeah, the decision that he Imagine. made himself, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I know it's I know the law's weird, but he knows the law, which is why he shook the referee's hand that's that for me not to be disrespectful to all of them, but I'll say ninety nine percent of them strikers are really weird. That's such a weird decision if you um if you knew you had like a hot-headed
1: striker like a Mitrovic or someone who might take their shirt off, would you as manager make them wear a kind of onesie, a kind of sewed, <laughs> so, so that if they tried to take the show off, all they'd succeed in doing is giving themselves a massive wedgie, but they wouldn't be able to get it off.
3: Um, and so then they, they wouldn't get a booking. Fair play to him is that he also managed to go full John Terry by removing his shirt, but leaving the armband on over <laughs> <Yes>. his naked <laughs> bicep. Aiden says, "Not really a question. Please talk about
1: how strange it is that Rodrigo is playing in the same team as Danny Alves, who is older than Rodrigo's dad. Because it feels it feels quite mad. It was nice to see Danny Alves out there, and you know, apart from that, we saw Anthony spinning around a bit, and like it could have backfired on Brazil, Barry, couldn't it? But ultimately,
3: it doesn't matter. No, I mean, if they finish second in the group, they would." face who instead of South Korea? Portugal. It's much of a muchness, I think, isn't it? i would be honest, I wasn't paying a huge amount of attention to this game and not a lot seemed to happen, but everyone has been wanging on about Brazil's incredible strength in depth. So they lost this game fielding a lot of reserve players, but I, I think it was a shot to nothing for them really. And if it had backfired... I don't think it'll be the end of the world to be playing Portugal instead of South Korea. Meh.
1: Do you go with that, Nate? I sort of feel Portugal is a tougher game than South Korea.
2: It, yeah, it, but they're both through, you know what I mean? So you, you never you never really know. You never really know. South Korea got obviously got a very good result earlier today. You just don't know. But for Brazil, it's the, the thing which I've noticed from looking at the standings, so they have finished top, but they're the lowest scorers in their group. And that's not really something I would have had in my mind in terms of how they are with the attacking flair that they have. Because it feels like they're just basically playing just like four or five defenders and then everybody else just go and do whatever you need to do. So for them to finish on that sort of level is is interesting. I, I do find that interesting. But for them, they're still on track and everyone's mythical semi-final of Argentina, Brazil. I think it still exists. So let's see if they can get there because the pressure is going to be on a little bit now that they've lost the game and maybe they can dampen some of those expectations just a little bit.
1: Just finally, this part, thanks to John Bruin, who texted me to say, um, I think Seb Hutchinson and Andros Townsend were doing the comms for the Switzerland game, weren't they? And John just said, My mate just asked me if Andros Townsend was Andy Townsend deciding to use his full name. <laughs> 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 so
3: there, like... was, there was a lovely bit in this commentary where um, Serbia got a, a corner and all their rather large defenders lumbered up into the penalty area. And Seb Hutchinson described it as, Big man heaven. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Some of them, one of their centre-backs is, I do love them, sort of big, galumphing Serbian men, aren't they, the two centre-backs? I sort of enjoy watching them not be technically amazing footballers, but, you know, very much do a job. And and quite scary-looking
3: men. Um, yes. Yeah. The, the, um, and at one point during the game as well, Andros... Announced that he had a flight to catch later. He didn't want much added time because he had a flight <laughs> home to catch for his daughter's birthday party, which I thought was very cute. I'm wondering, oh. is he flying home for his daughter's birthday party and then flying back, or is is his stint over? Because it's 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 the kind of thing I suspect Troy would certainly do, and. Andros is hopefully a chip off the Absolutely. old block. It's not great for your carbon
1: footprint, but it's wonderful as a parent, isn't it? <laughs> um, anyway, I can't talk on that subject. Uh, right, that'll do for part two. We'll do any other business in part three. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. So then tomorrow, the knockouts begin. Netherlands versus the USA and Argentina, Australia. Uh, The Netherlands and the USA have uh, played each other only in friendlies. Netherlands have won four out of five. US men's national team manager Greg Behalter said that midfielder Christian Pulisic is looking pretty good to take part in the game. Uh, He'll need confirmation uh, today. Gio Reyna ready to step in if Pulisic is deemed unfit. Barry, we've already discussed Netherlands. We don't know how
3: good they are. You still feel the US have got a chance here, don't you? Yeah, I, I would um, give them a chance, actually. The Netherlands had quite serene progress through their group, but I th- I saw all their games, and I'm, I wasn't hugely impressed with what I saw. Obviously, Cody Gakpo is, is playing a blinder for them, and, and he's scored in every game so far. But on the evidence of what I've seen from the USA, I would definitely give them a very good chance in that game. Very good chance.
2: Maybe it's because I'm surrounded by Americans in terms of who I'm working for, but I'm uh, learning more and more about them and I'm watching their games more intently than, say, I would have done in the past. And they're feeling they're feeling not necessarily confident, but there is a sense of belief that they can uh, cause an upset here. And there isn't that big a difference between the two sides at this moment because the Netherlands, they did qualify top and stuff like that, but they didn't really impress anybody on that journey. I think at times their attacking is quite slow. They're quite labored in terms of how they try and build out, whereas for the USA, defensively, as we saw against England, they can be solid, but they do have a huge threat on the break with the speed that they have. And there's some really good players in there. And I think if they can, if Pulisic can be fit and, you know, potentially bringing in a Gio Reyna, who hasn't had as much football as, say, he would have liked at this point, they are a really, really dangerous side. And I'm actually going to that game tomorrow and I'm, I'm kind of thinking USA are going to do it. And if they do, um, I think people have to take them a little bit more seriously. Because the Netherlands, you know, they seem like they're a good team by name. But at the moment, it's not really by nature because they're not really showing that much, to be honest.
1: Uh, Meanwhile, Argentina-Australia, I mean, it would be extraordinary, Barry, if Australia got through in this game, wouldn't it? I mean, it's 6am in in Australia, certainly in in parts of Australia. And that'll be, the atmosphere will be amazing in those squares that we've seen that full at 2.30 in
3: the morning. I think it will be one of the biggest upsets in World Cup history if Australia win this game. And I can't see anything other than a fairly emphatic Argentina victory. But you never know. (laughs) Argentina have already been beaten once. No one saw that coming. Uh, Yeah, I, I, I can't see it. I mean it would be incredible and I I think I'd be quite pleased for Australia I like Australia I'm a big fan of the as a country I know a lot of Australians and they're all very nice people but uh, nah they can't.
1: Yeah I can't imagine the existential crisis Marcella will will have tomorrow
2: on the pod if if that happens. (laughs) Nadim
1: your your thoughts on this one?
2: So I'll start by telling you a story. So I went to the US, the Australia game versus Denmark. And in the first half, like, respectfully, they were pathetic. Yeah, they were really, really bad, like exceptionally bad. But in the second half, I thought they played well. And bizarrely, Denmark were getting worse, even though they're the ones that needed to do something. And in that game, as was the case with Suarez pointing up at the scoreboard today, there was a point where Australia dropped a third because there'd been a goal in the other game and it went up on the scoreboard and literally a minute later, Matthew Leckie went through and scored and the whole energy changed around that game. So yes, they do arrive as really significant underdogs and they're sort of, if you go and look, look at the ceiling versus their floor, their floor is is quite low from what I've seen, but they can be competitive. I think when you look at Argentina for the way that they started the tournament, you'd say they have a chance but the way Argentina have been at the moment with the amount of fans that they have there and the energy that they play at, not many people are going to be putting money on Australia. Let's just say that. And I think if Argentina play anywhere near their best, then as Barry would say, like, you know, this could be a, a very heavily one-sided uh, game on scoreline.
1: James says, on a scale of 9 to 10, how disrespectful is it that the BBC pundits are discussing England-France as if Senegal don't exist? I don't know if you saw this, Nadim. I think they were talking about you shouldn't play Carl Walker against Senegal because you've got to save him for Mbappe. And I'm sitting there going, oh, this is a, this is dangerous talk.
2: Yeah, so um, in regards to certain bits of coverage and sort of perceptions of things which I've heard, I don't know if they're fully essentially, they're not really like watching every game that's out here. I wouldn't say that's for all of them but maybe one or two so they're being very much led and I think there's sort of points such an England focus on it that they're missing the point because there've been so many games which have gone on which have really sort of been a, a lesson in terms of how certain teams play and what they're doing and who arrives with real momentum and I think if they do decide to overlook Senegal like you know as champions of Africa they're not too bad you could say I think they could be in for a, for a big, big shock here. And I don't I don't like it really when they do make everything so specific to England, that try and educate people overall about the tournament itself and the merits of the other teams who are still in the competition. Because, you know, making it to the round of 16 is an achievement for everybody. And as a consequence, surely you have to take them seriously. I've, well, barring Qatar, I think everyone else actually qualified. So surely you should realistically sort of tell the nation about what to expect because lo and behold, as is the case with football, probably around the world, for those things that you don't know, you tend to underestimate. And if England do underestimate Senegal because people are telling them not to worry about them, then they could be in a lot of trouble because Senegal and that Netherlands group, they probably had the three best performances overall and they might not finish first, but a lot of people say they've been the best team in that group.
3: Yeah, I mean, I love it when the English punditocracy gets ahead of themselves. (laughs) 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 But... I mean, the specific instance you're referring to for for our overseas listeners was when Gary Lineker was explaining to his panel of pundits why Kyle Walker should not be played against Senegal. He's saying we can, you can't risk injuring him because he's the only defender on the planet with the speed required to deal with uh, Kylian Mbappe. I don't. I, I don't. I think it's a bit unfair to say he's getting ahead of himself, and I think he specifically said, "I'm not getting ahead of myself." But in Trent Alexander-Arnold and Kieran Trippier, we have perfectly adequate cover. They just don't happen to be as quick as Kyle Walker. But obviously, if Gareth Southgate now drops Kyle Walker or doesn't start him, and Senegal win, that will be seized upon as a reason for the defeat. The wider point: Should England manage to get. Over
2: get over that hurdle of playing against Senegal, is Mbappe has come into his own playing on the left-hand side because of the change when Hernandez, I think it was Lucas, got injured and mm, Taylor ended in, yeah. up coming on. And Tails the more attacking of the two brothers. And now you can see how their link-up has changed. So for England, you can talk about Kyle Walker, you can talk about whoever you want at right-back, but who's going to be playing on that right side to support it when it goes to a 2v1, when it's Mbappe and Hernandez. And you'd think that they would know that, but maybe they wouldn't if they've managed. They've just missed those games because maybe they're doing something else. But anyway, that's that's. Not you're for just me saying to a lot
1: of about. pundits are on the golf course, and I, I don't know why. Adam, why you're talking about who should play midfield for England against France because we haven't beaten Senegal yet. Can I? Ask you, <laughs> Listen, no, I, I just fell into the trap. <laughs> yeah, can I ask you a question, Adam? I and I, I don't mean this in a sort of gotcha way, but we've sort of seen people who've gone out to Qatar. Obviously, there's a lot of talk before the tournament. A lot of people. We've seen people sort of go out and then say, "Actually, I'm having a really lovely time here," and and none of what you you know you people have over criticized it and there are i can see some real positives to this tournament you know as we said in a previous part about fans from other countries you know football is not just for europe it's just not for south america it's for the whole world Mm -hmm. and that is good actually having no alcohol is good and if it's going to be in a muslim country and why shouldn't it be then alcohol be harder to get and that's not a problem and and but I just wanted, like, are you having a great time? And 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 or, or or do you are you conscious of what has happened before with the migrant workers yeah. and the treatment of LGBTQ plus? I one hundred,
2: I one hundred percent acknowledge everything that's happened before, and those conversations shouldn't go away. But I can also reference the fact that when I walk down from my apartment, I walk to a section which has lots of fans, and where we are is linked to all the different metro systems. So in any given day, depending on what the game is, you'll see a big group of fans that comes through that comes through that way. And yesterday there were probably 10 15,000 Morocco fans singing and dancing through the streets. And there's been so much of that. You can tell whether it's Ecuadorians, it's Argentinians, it's everything. And there's a huge sense of excitement, not because the World Cup is, say, essentially here, but it's because it's the World Cup. And for me, that's where, um, for myself personally, I say after the acknowledgement, like I'm, I feel really proud to be at a World Cup. I'm watching some of the best players in the world and I'm seeing fans from all over the world. It's a very unique experience to literally see people from every corner of the globe all being one place at the same time. And it's I've I've watched every game. Like I don't know, maybe I'm maybe it's because I'm new to this whole punditry thing, but I, I love football. I love World Cups and I've loved being a part of something that's linked so many people together. I don't know what you were expecting, but I suppose, of course, there are
1: nice people from all f- parts of the globe there and nice people in Qatar, you know. So, like, I, yeah. I, I sort of, I think that's quite interesting from that sort of coverage of actually this is really nice. Is But it was a bit like Russia was really nice, wasn't it? And,
2: yeah. And yeah.
1: Because people are this- like Russian, there are lots of nice Russians and, and people love football and lots of fans yeah. jumping around is really great. I think the two things can, can coexist, I guess.
2: Yeah, they can, but it's, I think it's the acknowledgement of the fact that there are two things, and I definitely do take that on board. And I've just, as I said, I'm really fortunate because it's not like I talk to every group of fans that I see, but it's been nice to have a different perspective. And So I'm working for ESPN, and with ESPN, there's a lot of coverage about the American team, the Mexican team, the Argentinian team, the Brazilian team and the energy that they have towards the game they're so passionate like the day when argentina played mexico in this green room bit where we sort of like watch games there's a full split you've got 20 argentinians that side 20 mexicans that side there's the passion when the goals are going in it's so intense and it's nice because it makes you look at the World Cup from a different perspective instead of solely thinking about the fate of whichever team you want to get behind and to see those out on the streets. Like I'm getting to any game I can get tickets for, I'm going to because everything just feels really, really remarkable and special. And I think this thing itself for the flaws that it has, there are some significant upsides and the fact that you could in theory go to every game, but then you fast forward four years and the next game might be an eight hour flight, oh, sorry, like a four hour flight away. You might be driving for two, three hours. So there are upsides to... So the way things have been done, but like as you mentioned, there are two sides to it. But I think there needs to be in some ways more of an acknowledgement of the two sides because when you step out, if you love football... It's an incredible footballing experience right now, and yeah, it's as yeah, I say, I've, I've had a, I've had an incredible time to be honest.
1: Fair play to Tom Kerridge, uh, who <laughs> tweeted out, "I had a cracking time with Jermaine Genus and Co during my international commentating debut on Tuesday." Big shout out to Danny Gabidon for stepping into the kitchen and covering me. Available for Manchester United games in the new year, and a good stat from Johnny Blaine saying there is no player called Gary at a World Cup for the first time since 1982 it's huge news isn't it (laughs) Um, anyway look that'll do for today Uh, cheers Barry cheers thanks Nathan thank you very much Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove with Silas Gray our executive producer is Max Sardison we'll be back tomorrow with the start of the knockouts
2: this is The Guardian